Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday, the 7th of June. Tom Tilly back with you after a wild week on the Triple M night shift. Five and a half hours of live talkback. It was a very funny and really interesting ride. So, um, yeah, thanks to everyone for filling in last week. Back in the saddle now. On today's briefing, Jan and Katrina take a deep dive on our drinking culture and how it's changed during the pandemic. And as you'll find out, uh, it's actually affected women more. So that's coming up in just a moment. First, uh, Annika is here for the headlines. And Annika, how are you doing a week and a half into lockdown? Haven't done a great deal, Tom. Not a lot to report. It's illegal to leave the house for more than uh, two hours a day. I'm getting my two hours of exercise, but that's about it. How are you feeling about it? it? Is it tough? Yeah, it's not great. Look, um, I was doing it alone for a little bit. My husband was away, but he's managed to come back, so that's handy. And the dog loves it. The dog is getting <laughs> lots of walks, lots of attention. I feel really sorry for the animals when we all go back to work. They mustn't know what happens. Good news for Merv. All right, we'll get exactly. we'll get deeper into the policy decisions around that in just a moment. Our first news headline is the good news from Harry and Meghan that we've all been waiting for. That's right. Prince Harry and Meghan have announced the birth of a daughter, who they've named after the Queen and Princess Diana. So it's Lilibet Diana Montbatten Windsor, born on Friday local time at a hospital in California, and this is the couple's second child after their son, Archie. The Duke and Duchess revealed in a statement their daughter's first name was a tribute to Harry's grandmother, Queen Elizabeth, whose family nickname is actually Lilibet because when she was little, she couldn't pronounce Elizabeth. (laughs) That is so cute. The couple's press sec announced overnight both mother and daughter are doing well and they're back at home. That's a really touching tribute to Queen Elizabeth, isn't it? Look, I I think the names couldn't have been more directly sort of representative of the two important women in their life. Not sure about naming it after a a mispronunciation, (laughs) but look, I had heard that um, when Harry was doing a walkabout earlier this year, he was stopped by a little girl called Lily and he inquired how she spelt it. It was one of the names they thought um, they might be keen on because he did seem unusually interested in the name Lily, which I'm sure she'll be called. And Victoria's government say they won't be ending the lockdown early despite low case numbers. The last thing we want to see is this variant of the virus getting out and becoming uncontrollable. So I want to get there as quickly as you do. My expectation is by the end of this period, we'll be in a position to have further easings of restrictions. That's acting Premier James Molino speaking yesterday, still using that language, Annika, about these frightening variants becoming uncontrollable. Yeah, look, there is some things to worry about. They're not exactly sure (laughs) where some of these things came from, but two cases was the last I heard. It's getting pretty frustrating for people in Melbourne. So as you said, the lockdown is meant to end on Thursday and health authorities say they're still working to uncover the sources of both those clusters now. So one of the clusters came uh, from the guy in hotel quarantine in Adelaide, but they don't know how it spread through the community. And then The other cluster is called the West Melbourne Cluster, and this is the family uh, that travelled to New South Wales on holiday. That family have the Delta variant, which is one of the Indian variants. So how did you feel last week when they extended the lockdown and the justification for it and the fact that some of the, the language they used turned out to be completely overblown? And also two of these so-called fleeting contact cases were false positives. 
Yeah, look, the false positives you can't help. I spoke to a doctor last week and they said if you did 50,000 tests of anything in the community, you'd get a false positive. And it's good. False positives are better than false negatives, I guess. But look, some of the language has felt um, increasingly overblown for a little bit. They were saying anybody who'd walked down certain shopping strips in Melbourne, being Bay Street and Clarendon Street, where the SCA studio is, should just be um, concerned because uh, they didn't know how this was spreading and they thought it could just basically jump in your face. Um They've wound back a little bit on that now. They have realised that there probably isn't that sort of fear over it being spread in an airborne manner like they initially thought, not, you know, as you pass someone on the street anyway, which is good news. But yeah, when I started to talk to some ministers mid last week and it looked like not only was this going to keep going, but it was going to keep going for a week and... Even if we get out on Thursday, they've banned city people from going to regional Victoria Mm. for the long weekend. It feels so tough, um, especially after what this city went through last year. I didn't go through that. Um, Mm. I was in Canberra, but a lot of people are really on edge. And I just think this last one, a lot of people are saying to me that it's actually worse than last year. I don't know if that's because the case numbers are lower and the death rate is lower. The hospitals are, you know, able to cope. There's last I checked, there wasn't even anybody in there. There was one person they took in for a precautionary measure, but it just does seem there's so much despondency in the community right now. So obviously, um, Victorians had a very different experience last year and they got a, a sense of the real threat of COVID because of those deaths, particularly in aged care. And the fact that, you know, case numbers, daily case numbers got up to 700 at one point. But uh, people in Melbourne still compare themselves to what people in Sydney are going through where they've had clusters of a a bigger magnitude than this without shutting down the city. It's strange. Um, I constantly question that and a lot of people do but uh, there's a lot of people just willing to almost run this um, I will say eradication policy and and keen on that we do ask the government constantly are they pursuing an eradication policy and we're told no it's aggressive suppression but it seems that until they get donut days as they call them down here uh, there is somewhat of, I guess, support from certain sectors of community to keep people in. Now, I find it hard because right at the start of this, we were told it's not about that. It's about making sure the hospitals cope and that, you know, a lot of people get COVID and and ultimately survive it. It is a a bad pneumonia, but it is not a death sentence. Uh, We do seem to be pursuing pursuing a uh, system where we just don't want any cases in the community. I hope we can get out this week, Tom. I really Mm. do, even if the case numbers aren't at zero. And the Ben Robert Smith defamation trial will get underway today at the Federal Court in Sydney. The former SAS soldier and Victoria Cross recipient is suing Nine Entertainment over a series of newspaper articles about alleged war crimes committed in Afghanistan. Robert Smith says the articles in The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald implied he had committed war crimes. Uh, On the eve of the trial yesterday, Robert Smith's parents issued a statement saying they are proud of their son and the allegations had destroyed his life. The trial, which will be closely watched, is expected to take eight to ten weeks. And finance ministers from the world's largest economies have agreed to make multinational companies pay more tax. Tax evasion will be more difficult for big companies all over the world, and this is a good message for the people of our countries, and especially the big tech giants will have to pay their fair share. German Finance Minister Olaf Scholz speaking there after the meeting of ministers from G7 nations in London. Now, representatives of the global powers signed off on the plan to raise the minimum company tax rate to 15% and to make companies pay more tax in the countries where they're making profits. 
So in particular, there's countries like Ireland where the tax rate is 12%. So that's where a lot of tech companies have set up their headquarters to avoid paying tax. So if they bring up the minimum level to 15%, um, that'll provide less incentives to avoid tax in those kind of ways. And former US President Donald Trump has used his first speech since leaving office to call on China to pay compensation for the COVID pandemic. The time has come for America and the world to demand reparations and accountability from the Communist Party of China. So he was speaking at the Republican convention in North Carolina and Trump said China should pay $10 trillion for the mishandling of the outbreak of the COVID virus. (laughs) It's a lot of cash. Trump also used the speech to hit out at infectious disease experts and again claimed the 2020 election had been stolen. Yeah, and one disease expert in particular, Anthony Fauci, copped a bit of criticism. (laughs) Um, I think Trump's call for reparations from China would resonate with a lot of people who were really pissed at what we've had to deal with over the last 12 months. Absolutely. I think one thing we learned about Trump is he often knows what... People in the community, that middle band of Americans, and I think this one actually goes into other countries too, might be feeling. And I think there is a little bit of anger about the way China initially handled this, especially about getting information out. So that one might hit a bit of a chord. All right, we'll be back tomorrow, Annika. In just a moment, uh, Jan and Katrina will be in talking about the impact of the pandemic on our drinking habits. Hi, it's Katrina here with today's briefing, and we are asking you to be honest, really honest. Have you been drinking more since COVID hit? If you said yes, you're definitely not alone. The stats show that most Aussies have. Yes, 20% of us say that our alcohol consumption has increased since the pandemic began. Now, most of us blame stress and having to stay at home more. Um, A study from the ANU found that for men, often the stress comes because of a job loss or they might be working less. For women, they say they're hitting the bottle more because of greater childcare responsibilities, looking after kids, homeschooling, that sort of thing. Yeah, a similar study by the Australian Bureau of Statistics has reported that women were almost twice as likely to report drinking more during COVID compared to men. And Jan, I know that, look, confession time, I have definitely been drinking more during COVID and most of my girlfriends have as well. So I would probably go... Would you be in that category of the women? Yeah, definitely. Mm Because pre-COVID, I would probably try and keep Monday to Friday alcohol-free. But then with lockdown last year, I was homeschooling four kids at one stage. Okay. Two were mine. And it was, <laughs> and two were I, just two randoms think, who walked into your house. <laughs> that's right. Just kids <laughs> off the street. And that daily glass of wine became like a real treat for me at five o'clock where I would start counting the hours from mid-afternoon of when I could have oh. my glass of wine. What did, about you? I mean, did you feel like it would delineate your day almost? Like the day's over, I have this yeah. glass of wine and I go into leisure time. It's or... like wind down yeah. time now. And I was using that glass of wine as a crutch until this February I went I did the Feb fast and that really broke that cycle for me but it was hard yeah I sort of did this thing where I because you know when the lockdown first happened last year in New South Wales I went and bulk bought a whole bunch of stuff and (laughs) one of those things that I bought in bulk was alcohol which I had never ever done before And so suddenly I had all of this wine in my house, like bottles and bottles of wine. And I just 
kept thinking, okay, well, you know, the wine's there. I may as well drink it. And I made my way through these bottles of wine with my partner a lot quicker than what I would normally yeah. have if I didn't have them just sitting there on the shelf, right? Yeah. If it's there, you drink it or you tend to, it's much easier to just open a bottle and yeah. pour a glass. And I think about people in Victoria at the moment, in Melbourne, they're in mm. the midst of, you know, their second week of their fourth lockdown. This is a question for them as much as anyone else. Like, has the pandemic highlighted our problem with booze? If you're in the middle of a lockdown now and you want to avoid picking up more alcohol, how do you do it? And why are women drinking more, you know? Yeah, really good question. And joining us on the briefing to discuss this is Katerina Georgie, who's the CEO of the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education. Now, Katerina, thank you so much for joining us. We know that more people are turning to alcohol during the pandemic. I guess, can you tell us why is that? Well, what we've found is that people's lives have been changed so significantly because of COVID. So for different periods of time, people have been restricted to their home. And so as a result, we've seen this huge influx of alcohol into homes. So last year, we saw an extra $3 billion of alcohol takeaway sales into people's homes. And that's a lot more alcohol, yeah, flowing into the homes of people. And we haven't seen that before. I feel quite guilty hearing that because I was one of those people that sort of bulk bought alcohol (laughs) and I'd never done that before. But for some reason, I thought, well, I'm buying everything else in bulk. I'm going to buy alcohol in bulk. Everyone else is buying toilet paper. Yeah, I'm going to Dan Murphy's. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, is this a sort of a behaviour change that you've noticed that's slightly more across the board where people would do things in this last year that maybe they weren't doing prior or wouldn't have even thought to do prior? Well, we certainly saw in the first week of lockdown last year that uh, alcohol sales, we saw some credit card uh, data that showed that they'd increased by 86% in one week. Mm. And so I think that that's that initial uh, people going out and buying and having some in their homes. And we thought that that would ease off. But when we looked at data across 2020, even as pubs and clubs uh, started to open again and in areas where there's been limited restrictions, there's still this large amount of alcohol going into homes. And that's something that we've been surprised by because we thought that it would be more closely tied to restrictions than it is. What interests me with these figures is the gender breakdown. I guess it surprises me that women have reported drinking more Mm. than men. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, women have been disproportionately impacted by COVID and women have taken on a lot more of the caring responsibilities. So they're often the ones who are juggling full-time work and homeschooling and all of the other tasks that they take on. And so unfortunately, what's happening is that Some people are seeing alcohol as a way to cope with anxiety and stress when actually we know that alcohol does the exact opposite. So it actually heightens anxiety and makes people feel more stressed and more mentally unwell, particularly in the longer term. Are there particular stresses that make women a little bit more vulnerable to drinking? The main thing that's come through is that responsibility to care for children But certainly when we've been asking people why they've been drinking more, the message that we've heard is that it's to deal with anxiety and stress and then just some alarming or some concerning trends because these are things that are hard to undo in the longer term. So people saying that they're more likely to start drinking earlier in the day 
or more likely to drink daily, and as I said, more likely to drink because of anxiety and stress. And it's those sorts of habits that become harder to undo because people build them into their everyday lives. It became a bit of a joke, didn't it? Like day drinking, especially to deal with homeschooling. But if it becomes a long-term habit, it can be quite serious. We did an analysis of 100 ads on social media from alcohol companies and a quarter of them referenced COVID and this was in May last year. So saying things like, you know, to get by, you drink up, to get through isolation, you drink up Mm. and all of those mummy wine memes and I'm very much in that demographic and I just get pummeled with these memes suggesting that the way to get through is to, to drink more alcohol. What are those little red flags? Is it when you start drinking Mm. alone? Is it when you start really looking forward to that daily glass of wine and thinking about it, planning for it? What is it that we should... Yeah, what's the first alarm bell? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the first thing is, is it impacting on your ability to do the things that you would normally do in your life? Is it changing the way that you would normally approach life? Is it making you feel worse overall. So you think to yourself, I'm going to have this initial drink, but then actually it makes you feel more anxious the next day or uh, later on that night. Is it impacting upon your relationships or the things that you would normally engage in? So it's not as simple as a number. Uh, What it comes down to is whether it's impacting on the things that you would normally do in the way that you would normally engage. And then there are things like, do you feel like you need a drink to get through the day or to get through a particular circumstance? And are you perhaps drinking to cope with stress and anxiety? And those sorts of things are indications that it's probably good to have a look at seeking help or have a look at ways that you can cut back. And there are lots of tools available now online to help people to cut back on their alcohol use. Medically, what's the safe limit? Like I saw a study, I think last week, that said any amount of alcohol is bad for your brain. Is is one glass of wine a day going to have a bad impact? Like is there a... Are you asking because a... you want to have one glass of... <laughs> Katrina wants to have a glass of wine a night, okay? That's the truth here and she wants to know if it's bad. (laughs) What do you say, Katerina? It's a really good question and there are actually new guidelines in Australia um, and those guidelines say that you should try and limit yourself to no more than four standard drinks on one occasion and no more than 10 standard drinks in a week. Some people say it seems like a lot and some people's reaction is that doesn't seem like much at all. So if you think about a bottle of wine having seven or eight standard drinks, that is based upon a one in a hundred risk. They say that if you drink above those levels, then your risk of dying of alcohol-related diseases or injuries increases above that one in a hundred. So your point about Every drink contributes to risk is is absolutely true, but these guidelines are the ones around reducing your risk of having alcohol-related harm. So Melbourne right now is in the middle of its fourth lockdown and parents are homeschooling their kids and most people are back working from home. What is your advice to people who might be listening to this podcast? It might be during the day, it might be at night. No judgment. Really feeling like an extra drink. Yeah, it's really a hard time now. There are lots of things that lots of people are juggling. So I think that looking at drinking in the context of 
people's lives is really important. So the first thing is to really go easy on ourselves, you know, go easy on the amount that we're expecting to get from homeschooling or the supports that we're expecting to give or the different things we're meant to do. And also to think about how you create new habits in the restricted environment. So what does your day look like? What does it involve some exercise? Does it involve eating healthily? Does it involve doing things with another person in your household or connecting with someone else to go for a walk to plan the different behaviours? I think the other thing is that people setting themselves a drink limit if they do drink alcohol and then trying to stick to that and preferably within those guidelines so that they can reduce their risk of harm. Okay, so I heard go easy on yourself. Just understand that you're in a difficult situation. It's okay. Think about how you are creating new habits, how they sort of start to seep into your life. And three, set a possible limit, a glass Mm. limit, a bottle limit. If you feel like you're drinking too much, that's a clear number that you don't go over. Is that about right? That's spot on. And if people do need extra support, there's an alcohol and other drug hotline uh, and that number is 1-800-250-015 and there are a range of supports on our website, which is fare.org.au. That was Katarina Giorgi, who's the CEO of the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education there and 10 standard drinks a week is not the worst, apparently. Are you, are you happy like, with that, Katrina? Yeah, look, I am. But what she said, which is definitely now front of my mind, yeah. is it's not so much about the number and whether you're hitting the correct number for medical reasons. It's about your motivation yeah, that's why right. you're having that drink. And if you're having it to relieve stress, there are other better ways. Let's explore those perhaps instead of getting the corkscrew out. Tomorrow on The Briefing, if the housing market is blowing your mind and making you basically really depressed, we're going to explore another way to get ahead financially. Listener.